0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Jazz great Dave Koss brings his Summer Horns tour to the Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia on Thursday night. We spoke about his prolific Grammy-nominated career, as well as his approach to interviewing other musicians on his syndicated radio show. Hey Dave, hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. My pleasure, Jason. Nice to talk with you. We're talking because you are coming to the historic Birchmere for a show uh, on uh, Thursday, September 16th, 7.30 p.m. Um, tell us about the show. I know you uh, have, have some folks, uh, it says, and friends. So <laughs> who are the yeah. friends that
1: will be joining you? Some very talented friends. Uh, this is a really exciting tour for us. It's another Summer Horns tour. And this year, the Summer Horns lineup includes one of the uh, greatest tenor saxophone players of all time my favorite living tenor saxophonist kirk Whalem. we have an original summer horns member uh, going back seven years uh, mindy Bear will be back with us and then a young i like to call him the wonderkind. Uh, his name is vincent ingala he's 28 years old and over the last several years uh, has created quite a name for himself with a bunch of hit singles, and he's such a talented kid. He plays wonderful saxophone, but also great guitar, and drums he plays in this show, and keyboards, and uh, so the four of us uh, with a killer band uh, have been doing this Summer Horns tour. Since the beginning of, um, I guess it was the uh, sometime in July that we started, and it's yeah, it's it's an interesting, weird <laughs> time to be out on the road, to say the least. But one thing I can tell you is we needed it, um, and it seems very apparent that the audience has has needed live music to come back. It's a very healing experience. For-
0: yeah, I mean, speaking of that, you said you just got back out on the road in uh, July. So how did you spend the pandemic? For, for a live musician, that must have just been completely, you know, a weird time.
1: I was like, I should record some music for people during this time period, maybe put put this time period to better use. And uh, so I made a virtual album, 100% virtual album. that came out um, in October of 2020. And the nice thing was that everybody was home. We started working on it, um, writing songs virtually in April of 2020, and so I could call people like David Sanborn and Bob James and uh, Brian McKnight and say, you know, can I can I send something over to you, a little sketch of a song? And they would be like, yes, send it over right now. Can you send it today? And everybody had this pent up energy that they wanted to, to utilize. And we would get these tracks back that were so filled with joy and, and amazing energy. So this album came together really, really quick. And then I made a follow up album uh, in the studio with Corey Wong, this young guitarist out of Minnesota. And we did that one in September of 2020. So I, I feel like I uh, put the pandemic to good use, uh, making some music that I'm very proud of. And hopefully, it provided some some comfort to people in the way that my Feel Good Musical Heroes provided to me.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, whenever I have someone like yourself, of your stature on, I like to see how, you know, take it back to the beginning, how you got into music in the first place. So obviously, you were, you, were, you know, you grew up in, in California, I guess, born in Encino, right? But uh, uh, how did you actually fall for music? You know, what what music was on and your parents playing in the house or, you know what I mean? Like, how, how did you get into music in the beginning?
1: Well, music was wafting from various rooms of my house. I uh, My parents were Big fans of the Great American Songbook and uh, crooners and singers, Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, uh, Dean Martin. So I had a nice dose of that. My brother was listening to sort of progressive rock and jazz. My sister was a pop music fanatic. So I I got it from all different sides growing up. But I think the clincher was my brother, who's a wonderful musician still to this day. Uh, way back when, had a band that was uh, playing weddings and bar mitzvahs, fraternity parties, about four years older than, than me. And I just wanted to be in that band because uh, they didn't have to have jobs flipping burgers on the weekends. They were playing music on the weekends. And that, that looks so cool to me. Uh, of course, my brother said, you're never going to get in this band. Doesn't matter how. You try. It's never going to happen. Uh, but one day he kind of relented. And this was during the, the um, the 70s when, late 70s, when every uh, song on the radio had a saxophone solo, but they didn't have a saxophone player in their band. So I said, you know, I need to get in this band. He said, well, the only way that you would get in is if you played saxophone. And I was going into the seventh grade at the time. I was 13 years old. And that's when I picked up a sax for the first time. And admittedly, it just felt right in my hands. And I practiced my my you-know-what off for, for two years, drove my brother crazy until finally one day, he in a moment of weakness, he relented and said, try, okay, you can come and play this wedding with us this Saturday night, and I'm gonna pay you $10 to come and play, and I did, and I did an okay job, and I got in the band, and so that's how it started.
0: Wow, I'm glad that you, you finally, thanks for sharing that story about how you got into, you know, jazz instruments too. Um, so I know, um, in terms of, um, you know, your career blossoming and growing at that point, um, weren't you, weren't you a member of, of Richard Marx's band and and toured with him from the late eighties and and early nineties? Uh, what, what was it like playing, you know, playing with him? I mean, I know he, he had that big, that big song right here waiting, but he had a couple actually, but you know, just memories of that time in your career.
1: Well, I, I, before my first record came out, I had a few different people that I toured with. One was Jeff Lorber, a jazz uh, fusion pioneer. One was a singer named Bobby Caldwell. And then I was managed by the same person that managed Richard Marks. And, and this, this manager said, why don't you play in Richard's band and you'll get a chance to. We were on the same label, Capitol Records. You'll be able to tour the country and meet radio people and, and uh, retail people. and Okay, I'll do it. And I watched, it was an amazing experience because I watched Richard. Our first show was like at this tiny little club for a hundred people. And on the same tour, Jason, the same tour that lasted probably 14 or 15 months, when it ended, we were playing to an arena of 20,000 people all there to see him. <laughs> so it was like watching the anatomy of a hit song and then a follow-up hit and another hit after that and watching a career grow in front of my eyes. And this was amazing to, to have that experience before uh, my first record came out. And I'm, obviously I've never, you know, I didn't, I, <laughs> I'm not playing to arenas of 20,000 people, but just being, having that experience was invaluable to see how somebody else could do it so that i could apply some of those techniques to my own career when i got my chance
0: for sure and i want to get into you know that your solo career in a second because i know you, you were with you signed with Capitol records but uh even before that around that same time weren't you um you know practicing your chops getting some experience on on national television on uh, you know some some late night talk shows
1: yeah The Pat Sage show was on CBS uh, in the late 80s. The the band leader was one of my sax heroes named Tom Scott, and he hired me in the band. Uh, And when that show ended, I got kind of recruited from Arsenio Hall to do uh, One Night a Week. And I did that for about a uh, a year. And that was during the height of his popularity. Uh, Everybody was watching that show. And he was a big, huge music fan. He loved jazz music and loved putting jazz artists on his show. And so the timing of that uh, with my the start of my career was just, you couldn't ask for a better uh, opportunity to be on national television once a week while you're getting your career off and running. And so uh, I'm t- tremendously uh, appreciative of uh, Arsenio and what he did for me. I'll never forget those times, too. There was a lot of fun for sure. All right.
0: Well, without further ado um, into your own work, um, I know, I guess it was a self-titled debut, like in what, like 1990 and mm-hmm. then um, lucky man, the dance saxophonic that gets nominated for a Grammy. Um, you're off to the races, but how do you, um, you know, h- how do you think you sort of in your own work, not the Richard Mark stuff, but your own work, how do you think your own sound sort of evolved from that? solo debut all the way to saxophonic if you if you had to you know put it put it into words how much do you think you sort of grew and and figured this thing out
1: well i I think it's probably the same for most new artists and uh jason you have to remember i'm not sure how old you are but uh you have to remember the the business the record business when i first started in in the early 90s was it's unrecognizable from the way it is now Uh, things have changed so much it's um quite astonishing but back then when I was making my first record all I wanted to do I was a brand new artist all I wanted to do was have enough success to make a second record and but I had no uh, expectations because nobody knew me and uh, I was just starting out but that first record had a hit on it and it got me to make a second record for Capital and that record kind of blew up my second record went gold and all of a sudden I was off to the races and then subsequently it's always been a a quest to find new layers of my musicality and I'm still on that quest this many years later um, trying to just find different aspects of, of who I am musically to represent on recorded music and uh that's a fun thing it's a wonderful thing to be able to do it's a great honor to be still able to make music and still have people that are interested in the new music that i make uh in 2020 i released two uh different well actually uh, one came out in 2020 the other one came out in 2021 but i made them both in the year 2020 new albums and so it's just a you know, I, it, it's kind of like a pinch me moment. I still get a chance to make albums. I've made 20 of them now. And each one of them is like a chapter in uh, my musical life. And when I look back some, some of those older albums, I'll, some things I'm not so proud of, but other things I am proud of still. And it's just like being able to grow up and to age and to live a life um with a fan base that has been incredibly loyal has meant the world to me and they've gone along with me every step of the way and for that and a ton of other reasons i'm incredibly grateful
0: for sure yeah i mean 20 albums that's that's no joke <laughs> that, that that's how to build a following right there um i'm sure you built a lot of other followers um through your syndicated radio show um i guess that began what in like 94 but um uh, you, you know, you were just speaking about how, how the music industry has changed so much. And, you know, that was when music radio was, you know, was to have to have a talk show on, you know, what, like, a, what was it like a smooth jazz station, I guess, um, you know, to have that was like a big deal. Everyone listened to to radio then. Um to memories of uh, of just hosting that and stepping into that role because you know it's one thing to be a, a musician or a band leader on late night or something, but to actually you know step into that you know that host chair on on your own self titled radio show. I mean that that's that's a whole different ball of wax.
1: <laughs> it sure was, and I I had no experience whatsoever in that realm. But there was a guy who was running a a network, a syndication network, who had this idea before anybody else. Now it's kind of commonplace, but this was really knew when he came to me mid 90s and said we want to create a show a syndicated show that's hosted by an artist in that format and we're gonna do it in variety of formats Uh, and it was kind of a novel concept and I was like I know nothing about hosting a radio show and he said that's exactly what we want we don't want this DJ we don't want this you know this voice and I remember the first shows that I did Way back when Jason, I was putting on the radio voice because I thought that's what they wanted. You know, hi, this is Dave Gos and you blah blah blah. And they I said. I know
0: exactly what you mean. I can't go back and listen to my first yeah.
1: <laughs> stuff. I mean, it's it's true because we all we we have this idea in our heads of what a radio host should sound like, but in reality, when people are listening, it's a very it's a very intimate relationship that the listener has with the person on the radio. And if you can be as authentic as you can be and be who you are and not put on the airs of some, somebody else, that's where the success comes. And in my case, I had great uh, guidance early on from some very uh, wonderful radio professionals that, that helped guide my, uh, my abilities. And here we are. I don't know, what is it, 27 years later, and that show is still on the air, uh, uninterrupted. And I do a a weekly Sirius XM show as well. And I love being on the radio. I love being a cheerleader and a champion for these great artists in this format. Our our music doesn't really get written about or uh, talked about too much in the media. So this is an opportunity to celebrate these, these great artists that are making the music.
0: Yeah, I'm glad. Thanks for mentioning the SiriusXM show. Reminder, listeners what it's called, what channel?
1: It's on watercolors, channel 66 on Sundays, and it's called the Dave Cause Lounge. Awesome. And then the Dave Cause the
0: radio show, is, is that daily or what is that?
1: That's on the weekends as well. It's a syndicated show um, and it's heard internationally as well. We have uh, uh, about 20 countries that play it as well every weekend. And I uh, uh, can't really recall, maybe about 40 stations that play in the United States. It used to be a lot bigger when there were a lot more jazz radio stations, uh, but jazz radio has gone through the ringer in the United States. But um, we'll see where it lands and hopefully there'll be more stations come on board.
0: Well, I just think it's really cool that you have those weekly things on radio and satellite radio um, where you're highlighting other artists um, because who was I? T- oh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Chris Thiele and the bluegrass guy. Oh, yeah. And he was, yeah, because he, you know, he did his own version of like a Prairie Home Companion, kind of his own, his own sort of spin on that uh, for a while. And he was, I mean, he was just saying about how he sort of misses the idea of, you know, times have changed so much with the internet. Everything's accessible. You can pull up any artist at any time. And it's almost like, um, uh, overstimulation, too much information sort of misses those sort of variety shows of your, where, where someone would curate and say, Hey, you know, you might check this artist out. So has um, that been the, the rewarding thing for you is, is to be, you know, not only for, you know, obviously it's exposure for yourself, but more importantly, you know, has that been the rewarding thing that you get to, you know, maybe introduce someone to, to an artist they might love?
1: Well, Chris, by the way, um, who I got a chance to, to jam with on a Volfpack show at Madison Square Garden I'll never forget that night, it was, um, I'd never met him, I was a fan of his music, but I'd never met him. And I, I was like blown away by his energy. And it really caused me to like up my game substantially that night, it was so much fun. Uh, but there's a guy who's an instrumentalist that is really doing amazing things in the world. Um, and we're, we're in a time right now where musicianship is celebrated in a way that it hasn't been in my mind for, for, uh, for decades. Um, and it's all on the internet. And you're finding these musicians because there's no gatekeepers. You can, at, at one keystroke, you can put your mu- if you have something to say, you, you can put your music up there uh, and distribute it to the world with one keystroke on your computer. And so I think what that has done is it's democratized music to the point where you now have so much amazing musicianship out there. It's overwhelming. And I, it's, I've had this experience so many times, Jason, where a friend of mine will turn me on to this band that I've never heard of. And I would like, oh, this music sounds really cool. And then uh, I think that I'm like one of the f- first people to discover them. And then I'll go on Spotify and I'll look at their numbers. And certain songs have 150 million plays, 200 million plays. So this is a common experience for me where you, you're turned on to music that you think you're discovering and yet you realize that there's these bands that are toiling in the music world that have huge followings that nobody knows about. (laughs) It's like, it's really, really funny. It's a head scratcher too. But that's to the point where our business, you know, what I was mentioning before, our business is so unrecognizable to the way it was before. And it's really making it good for the music. I think the, the, the fan right now in 2021 the music fan if you're a fan it's like the same thing with streaming on television used to be there was three channels of television and they curated our entertainment now there's thousands of shows at our disposal and it's endless and if you're a fan of television you have endless possibilities and it's the same with music now it's really exciting
0: oh for sure and when you have these bands on your your shows your radio and satellite radio shows what is sort of your What's sort of your interview process? Because, um, gosh, we've, I've asked so many people over the years, like Anderson Cooper said they planned every question and did a thorough research. And then Larry King said, I never, uh, the late Larry King said, I, I never planned a single question, I just talked. Where do you sort of fall, fall on that? Is, is it a combo of both or, you know, what's sort of been your philosophy to get people to open up on your show?
1: Well, one thing is that I think that we have going for us is it's musician to musician instead of interviewer to musician and I think that there is uh, a certain comfortable familiarity when you're talking to another musician. I'll give you an example. I was uh, interviewing on the phone, I was interviewing George Benson. Um, This is going back a number of years.
0: On Broadway.
1: Yeah. And I was talking to George and because of our schedules, we had to do it on the phone. We couldn't do it in person and I'm asking him questions and he's just giving me like two word answers, three word answers. I'm just not connecting with him. And I'm like, I know George Benson. I've shared the stage with George Benson. And I thought this is so weird, right? So finally, after a couple questions, he says to me, he said, is this the Dave Coz that plays the saxophone Dave Coz? And I said, yeah, George, that's me. I have a (laughs) radio show. This is what I do, you know, in addition to playing sax. And he said, "Hey." Was you and then I could not get this guy to shut up.
0: <laughs> so he opened right up the second that he found out you were one of you know on his one of his, one of his own.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it was it really illustrated to me in that experience, Jason, that that is the power of that show is musician to musician, and there's um, there's like a privileged conversation that can happen. It doesn't always happen, but it can happen. Um, and there's been many many times whether it's with Stevie Wonder or Quincy Jones or. Bert Backrack or Herb Alpert—I mean, these legends that are that have so much to say when they feel comfortable, they open up like a book, and that's what I want to share with our audience.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for not giving me um, one-word answers. Thanks, <laughs> thanks <Yeah, laughs> for opening okay. up. Uh, I guess it's we're we're radio to radio, so that's our our bond there, sir. Yeah. <laughs> but well, but you're, um, a,
1: you're a great interview, and one thing that I want to say about you is that you you do your research, and that's something that's very important. It's just maybe you don't plan every question, but being prepared to know your subject, like you 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 prepared for this interview, I can tell and that's something that i think is that makes for a great interviewer so way to go buddy
0: nah it's all you man um well you've, you've received all the uh, thank you for that but it's uh it's all about the guests really that that makes the interview i think so you've you've gotten all as so many grammy nods all that stuff but how cool is it to receive a star on the hollywood walk of fame in 2009 i mean I guess you could go two ways with this answer, right? You could shrug it off and say, eh, accolades don't matter. (laughs) That's what most people do.
1: It's in (laughs) the freaking sidewalk, Jason. The star is in the sidewalk. In fact, I actually, because it was so surreal that day, so unbelievable, that because I grew up in Los Angeles and we used to go as a family to the Hollywood Walk of Fame and walk it and see all the names and stuff. And so to have a a star is so out of, it's just like, it, it doesn't even seem real. So occasionally, I will go to it, (laughs) I'll drive to it, it's on Vine Street, it's right in front of the Capitol Records building, and I'll go there just to make sure that it's still there, because I think that somebody made, I still, after all these years, I I think that somebody made a terrible mistake and, and put my name in a star that I didn't deserve, but it's still there. Currently, it is still there, and it still feels surreal today as it did the day that it went in.
0: Yeah. they. I mean, I'm sure they, they were happy when they saw your name come through because they're like,
1: oh, they're like, this is
0: a sh- only a few letters short. <laughs> it's a short That's name right. you put on the star. <laughs>
1: no, no problem. Only seven letters.
0: <laughs> exactly. Seven never, letters never sounded so good. Well, man, thank you so much for, for doing this. Um, is there is there anything else you'd, you'd like to say about the, the show down at the Birchmere? You know why? If our listeners, um, maybe they've seen you before there, or maybe they've never seen you at all. You know, why, why should they come check you out in this, you know, post pandemic show? Uh, good to have well, live music back.
1: The, the, you just said it right there, live music is back. Um, it's not, we're not out of the, completely out of the woods yet with COVID, but people need uh, the, healing of, the healing power of music now more than ever, and we do as well. And this tour has been such a joy because we get a chance to share the stage with three phenomenal saxophone players. Uh, we have an incredible band. The music is full of life and, and happiness and joy and camaraderie and collaboration and you get to see different combos of, of people. There's the four of us all together doing a lot of ensemble stuff. We each get a chance to do our solo stuff. There's duos and trios, and it's just fun. And we've, we've been on the, doing this tour for a few weeks now. And it's been absolutely electric at the performances. People are coming out in droves, which to me is like such a shot in the arm, even with the craziness that's still going on. People need that fix of live music and we haven't had it for so long. So this is one of those summers that will, at least for me, I will never forget. Uh, It's filled with tremendous joy and it is a layer of concern that, that we all are still dealing with. But... You know, in the in, we still need that 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 uh, healing and energy that only live music can provide. So, I'm really excited to bring this show to the Birchmere, which, by the way, is one of my favorite (laughs) venues in the country to play. And we don't play it very often, so this is really a nice, exciting thing to bring this show, which is a big show, to a really intimate, wonderful venue. uh there in, in your part of the world so we're we're excited to be bringing summer horns to the Birchmere. can't wait to 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 uh play it
0: for sure and nice double meaning there intentional or pun intended or not about you know live music feels like a shot in the arm
1: <laughs> yeah. i didn't even realize that i didn't that was unintentional but thank you for making that con- uh, connection
0: Oh, always got to call out a pun, whether it was intentional or not. I'll give you credit for it anyway. But uh, yeah, maybe our listeners, you know, you've got your shot in the arm. Then come out to the Birchmere and get that shot in the arm feeling of watching uh, a live music again.
1: Uh, Dave, thanks so much. This was
0: a a real treat getting to chat with you. Um, Congrats on all of the success over the years. And, uh, you know, good luck at the show at the Birchmere.
1: Thank you very much. Great talking with you too, Jason.
0: All right. we Catch you later. All right. Bye-bye, buddy. Thank you.